Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Gareth Bale is back. Liverpool and Arsenal are back on track. The referees have lost their minds and it's tinfoil hat time. I'm Dan Burke. This is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined for this one by Angelina Kelly. Hello, thank you so much for having me. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. I've just realised the podcast panel this week is Angelina Jolie. That's quite nice, isn't it? Joel, how have we not discovered that before? Yeah, it's nice actually. I've been called Jolie since about 12, but it's nice. (laughs) So it's Jolie from now on then, there we go then. Uh, now, people who listened to the Champions League show last week will have heard me mention this already, but we got an interesting review on Apple Podcasts earlier this month, which said, very good quality pod, but be prepared for an anti-United bias on the Premier League show, as it's hosted by Man City and Liverpool fans. Does that sound like us to you, Joel? I don't know where they're coming from from that. I don't, I don't see what point they've got that at all. And uh, that's ridiculous. We've always been very pleasant about Manchester United. Exactly. We love United. We love United. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, in, in order to redress the balance somewhat, we've, we're joined by Angelina this week, who is a United fan. So, Angelina, are you, are you ready to fight your team's corner today? <laughs> 100%. I have got my biased hat on. We are the greatest team in the world. We're winning everything, including the World Cup, even though we can't win it. And uh, yeah, that's the way we roll here. Biggest club in the world. You trademarked that, didn't you, basically? 100%. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, you're also the, the host of our newish women's football podcast. So you can tell us at the end what you've got coming up on that show this week. Uh, but for now, we're talking Premier League. And we'll start at Stamford Bridge today, where Chelsea and Manchester United played at a boring 0 0 draw on Sunday. There isn't much to talk about in terms of the game itself. So I have some more general questions for you in a moment, Angelina. But First of all, do you think United should have had a penalty for that Callum hudson Adoy handball? Oh, you know what? This is a tough one. It's a tough one. I have watched this over and over again. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to detach myself. As a fan of football, I think if it would have been given, people would have felt it was a little bit harsh. Do you know what I mean? I guess in the mm. laws of football, I'm going to go around the houses with this because I can't actually decide. <laughs> but in the laws of football... Um, if you look at some of the penalties that have been given in the league that were a lot harsher than that, then yeah, technically it should have been a penalty. I personally think that Hudson Adoy's T-Rex arm that he had going on <laughs> didn't didn't look supernatural. Um, well, not supernatural, didn't look natural at all. <laughs> um, I didn't realise that play on words there. Um, I think that he could have avoided his hand being in that position, um, but I'm not actually a professional footballer, believe it or not, so I'm not too sure... What goes on with your hands when you're running around? Um, and I, I will say the expression on Hudson Adai's face, when they were checking that VAR, he knew he touched that ball. Oh my God, I think you could tell from his face. Um, but I do get what people say, are saying um, in that it was an accident. But like I say, I do think his hand looked a little bit weird. Um, and I, like I say, I do feel like some penalties that have not been given... Uh, sorry, play, penalties that have been given when players 100% cannot help it and it's not their fault, you know, they've still given and I just, mm, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, th- I think as a football fan, I'm glad it wasn't a penalty because I think it would have been a little bit harsh. But as a biased United fan, at the end of the day, in the eyes of the law, his T-Rex arm touched the ball, <laughs> give me the penalty. So. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean about his face. It was the uh, the kid with his hand cut in the biscuits in there, wasn't he? Definitely, yeah. Uh... <laughs> what about you, Joel? Do you think it was a bad call or was there enough doubt about the deliberateness of it for a penalty to, not to be given? Was it clear and obvious is the big question, I suppose, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think it was too clear and obvious. I do think it's 50-50. And um, I think, and you know, Angelina alluded to it there, that 
earlier like in the season, October, November, start of the season, that gets given because any anything that touches a hand, even it's accidental in the penalty area, gets given as a penalty. And, and obviously the PJMLO, they come out and, and they change the rules a bit in mid-season and, and, and say they're sort of going to start clamping down on accidental handballs, um, which I guess, you know, it is bizarre for them, was bizarre for them to do. And, and, I, and I guess in a way, Man United don't get a penalty in this game in, in, in February. But if, this, if that exact incident happened in October, they probably would have got a penalty for it. So mm. it's, it's a bit bizarre when you think of it that way. But I, I don't think it was clear and obvious enough. Again, like Andrea said there, one way or the other, you know, if that is going to get given, you think it's fair enough. It doesn't, it's mm, one of them. But they've had enough penalties this season, haven't they? So. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer made his thoughts pretty clear with it. And also, Angelina, what did you make of Luke Shaw suggesting afterwards that he'd heard the referee, Stuart Atwell, telling Harry Maguire he couldn't give a penalty because it would cause a lot of talk after? And Maguire has since said Shaw misheard that conversation. I mean, none of that is very helpful, is it, really, to the to the overall sort of perception of referees and, and the way they were sort of dealing with these incidents? You know what? This is a messy situation. Like, mm. this is not a good look. At the end of the day, Shaw should not be throwing his toys out of the pram, you know, speaking to the media saying, I heard him say this and yeah. that and blah, blah, blah. Um, these types of things should not be discussed with the press. If you've genuinely heard that, then take it to the appropriate people. Whether it's true or not, I think Maguire's just trying to defuse the situation, um, you know, as the captain. Um, I can't imagine a referee slipping up like that and saying that, like, oh, mm. sorry, mate, can't give you that one. And surely, I may be wrong here, but, you know, did the FA not have, you know, recordings of these? Oh, yeah, mics yeah totally. That... Exactly. So show us the receipts. Mm. On the other hand, <laughs> Petty Angelina is like, show me the receipts. Then if he didn't say it, mm. prove it to us. Yeah. Why have they not said we've played everything back and he categorically did not say that? I think in order to protect referees as well, I think that they should do that to say, listen, something's been said. It's not true. We've got proof, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I... I can't imagine he said that. But yeah, it's just not a good look. And I think at the end of the day, you have to have a certain level of respect for the referee and that that's the decision that's been made. Keep it moving and don't be starting any more drama. We don't need it. Yeah, quite ironic that Luke Shaw was not sure about what was what was said. There, <laughs> exactly. <isn't> there, yeah? <laughs> I mean, the FA have since come out and said that neither Shaw nor Solskjaer will be punished for their post-match comments, which seems like a bit of a way to kind of just draw a line under it and move on, doesn't it, really? Mm. Um, Joel, what did you make about Solskjaer coming out afterwards and suggesting Chelsea had cheekily tried to influence the referee by joking on their website before the match that Maguire should have been sent off in this fixture last season? I mean, for starters, he doesn't seriously think referees read club websites before matches, does he? No, he can't do that. <laughs> Bizarre for him to suggest that at all. But the thing is, what he's actually doing, what he's actually saying there, is it's quite clever in a way because it's all part of this big mind game that mind games that the managers like to play. And and earlier on in the season, he he refers to Frank Lampard making comments about United getting penalties, but also Jurgen Klopp did, which which Harry Maguire made a reference to last week when he played West Brom in his post match comments. And I, I think what you know what Jaden Klopp was trying to do then is sort of alert, bring attention to that to the referees. The referees have that in their minds, and you could say that has worked in a way because United have stopped getting penalties as much as they did. Um, only referees can answer whether that's correct or not. But it's, what I guess what Solskjaer and, and Maguire before him are trying to do now is sort of turn that back around and. And, and in a way, put put the pressure back on the referees to say, well, you, you've not been giving us anything recently, and we probably should be getting something. And then I think in you know in the matches to come, the referees might that might be playing on you know John Moss's mind or Anthony Taylor's mind, 
Um, and then they, they might start giving like, uh, favourable decisions again because they're thinking that, you know, the, the spotlight's on them and it's going to be affected by that. It, it is actually quite clever. It's I think if you're not a, a fan of United or you're not a fan of a manager who's, who's doing these kinds of things and saying these kinds of things, you think it's quite petty and it makes them look ridiculous, and it does. But it's he's doing this. He's trying to gain advantage for his club, so it's, it is quite clever in a way. And I, I think we might see if that comes to effect in the next few weeks. Mm, well, speaking of receipts, credit to Joe Christian on Twitter for pointing out that in July 2020, Solskjaer said, "You know, referees are going to be making objective decisions. They're not going to be influenced by emotion anyway." So, I mean, yeah, I think I think it was a very poor attempt at a kind of Fergie mind control mind game thing, wasn't it? From he does try to be Fergie, doesn't yeah, he? You know, he does, yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. Which brings me on to my next question, Angelina. What is the what is the feeling among United fans towards Solskjaer at this point? Obviously, he's a club legend, and he hasn't done a terrible job overall. But do people still believe he's the man to deliver success, or is there is there any clamour for him to be sacked at the end of the season at this point? I mean, what's wrong with him being a little mini Fergie? Like, you know, if Fergie's maybe ringing him, like, say this honestly. It'll Fergie work. won stuff though, didn't he? That's the difference. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. You are right. I mean. You've always got two sides of the coin with United fans. Um, you know, I have friends that feel like Ollie is well and truly not at the wheel, never <laughs> has been, doesn't have a driver's license, never mind be at the wheel. Um, he never has, he never will be. Um, you know, a lot of people do believe that he's maybe not the type of manager to take us to a Champions League final. Yes, we can dream. <laughs> um, or, you know, win us a Premier League trophy. He doesn't possess maybe that star quality. I know a lot of people that wanted Pochettino, um, a lot of people, you know, that want these, I think a lot of people do want these fast results, they want to see change immediately, um, and I think because there's been a lot of stopping and starting with United, you know, one minute, you know, we're playing really well and we're beating PSG, the next, it's not going so well, I mean, you know, you're having great games against PSG and Leipzig, but you're still not getting out of the Champions League group stage, yeah. it's like, what's going on? Um but then you've got the positive people. I think I'm probably more in this category, um, thinking of the club as a whole. Um, and at the end of the day, um, we got to three semi-finals last year. Fair enough, it didn't materialise into anything, but we still got to that point. You know, we finished third behind two spectacular teams. Um, he got Bruno in, he's got Cavani in. Um, at times he has provided us... Um, you know, with a much better Martial, although not so much at the moment. I mean, I can talk about that. I can rant <laughs> about that one all day long. Um, but, you know, we've seen, you know, a new and improved Fred. I think the nostalgia within fans as well, that they love that he's been given the chance of manager. People feel like they trust him with the team because they feel like he understands the fan culture, the culture of the club. Um, but for me personally, I just feel like there's a lot of, there's a, a lot of other things that happen behind the scenes. And I think the way that he's protected Mason Greenwood, um, there was clearly something going on, uh, maybe towards the beginning of the season. And then especially with the whole Iceland situation, um, there was a lot going on. And I think it was alluded to that maybe, you know, something to do with Greenwood's like mental health or that he was struggling, etc. Mm. You know, Ollie protected that kid, which I think you do have to take your hat off to him. You know, when Mino Raiola was kicking off like a drunk Karen on Twitter, calling him <laughs> left, right and centre. Um, you know, Pogba, again, my opinions on Pogba, I won't go into it too much, but there has been a little bit of drama with Pogba. He's managed to kind of tone it down a little bit. And I just feel like I do have to agree with what Gary Neville said in that you feel a little bit more comfortable in that we've got a better chance than we maybe did under Mourinho. Um, 
I don't think you can necessarily say whether somebody can take you to a next piece of silverware or not. Some managers have won silverware that you wouldn't have expected. Um, but, you know, I just feel like there does have to be respect on what he has done. Um, you know, what he's got out of Bruno. Rashford's racking up the assist. De Gea, again, a controversial player, but still with nine clean sheets in the league. Um, you know, we've been in the top four now for about 10 match weeks. So I think you have to take how things have been. And I think... I'm not personally calling for him to be sacked. I think you've got to wait and see. I mean, obviously, if we bombed out and we end up in mm. sixth and we knock, we get knocked out of everything, then maybe you have to look at it. But with the way things are going at the moment, I think there's so there's a bit, bit of consistency at the moment. And I like that. I think United fans, with having Fergie for so long, any bit of consistency with a manager yeah. makes people feel comfortable. Um, and I just think that, managerially some of the decisions he makes you can argue that maybe he's not the greatest but I also feel like some of the stuff he does behind the scenes with the players goes a long way yeah I, th- I mean I think like you pretty nailed on to finish second behind a very good City team this season which is which is not bad at all it could still win the Europa League or the FA Cup or something like exactly. that so but as a City fan and I, I think Joel probably agrees with me on this like I, I mean I'm quite happy for Solskjaer to be in charge because I don't see him be the man to deliver proper success to be of honest course. um and when I watched like the sort of post-match interviews with him, when he sort of got this like jolly demeanor after a bad result or whatever, I just think, what are they doing? Like, just get, get just that. get a better manager. Like, it's so simple. I just don't. It just seems like sort of um, what's the word? Like self um, uh, self sabotage. Self sabotage. Yeah. It just okay. seems like that to me. Yeah. But you know. Long may it continue, I guess. I mean, that's now twenty <laughs> Premier League games unbeaten for United, but they failed to score in the last six meet- uh, last six league meetings with Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, and Spurs. Um, do you see that changing in the Manchester derby next week? I don't want to talk about that game. <laughs> I refuse to discuss that game. <laughs> no, I mean, at the end of the day, you've whatever United, you know, United fans that are listening, you can sit there and you can moan about City and you can flag them off. Put respect on the name at the end of the day. You mm. guys are playing some brilliant football. Of course, we're going into it as underdogs. I think that we would be lucky, you know, to, if we can put in a good performance, not get completely hammered by you guys, maybe score a goal. I think you have to take that mm. and just think, you know what? We, we've not been complete, you know, it's not been another Spurs, you know, six, you know, six goals have gone past De Gea and it's an absolute shambles. I think if you hope for better than that then that's all you can do really because you have to be honest United are not on that level mm. do you know what when I was a kid if someone had said to me one day United will come to a city away and say we hope we score a goal this weekend <laughs> I would have said wow I would you never... can't be realistic though do you uh, know of, co- of course of course yeah 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 uh, well as for Chelsea Joel they're still unbeaten under Thomas Tuchel um, do you think making them hard to beat first and foremost is the smart strategy from him yeah, I think for any manager going into a new club of, of setting up the defence and, and making yourself solid and making yourself hard to beat is the first thing you've got to do um, because you can always get to the attacking part later and there's always a chance, you know, once you are able, able to keep clean sheets like they have been doing, then there's always a chance you can win games 1-0 um, or 2-0 and it's it's absolutely fine to, to be doing what he's doing. Um, I think by now, Chelsea supporters probably would have expected a bit more sort of attack and fluidity and you know see a bit more excitement up front and which you're not necessarily doing at the moment it's a lot of it's you know possession for possession's sake but mm. I, I guess he is getting to that and and I guess you know maybe it's harsh to criticize him 
and criticised Chelsea for not, not being so exciting at the moment because he's not had that many days on the training ground because you know they're playing every three days, every four days. So, I mean, I, I doubt he's had more than 10 training sessions with them at the moment. Mm. So, hats off to him at the moment for, for getting them set up the way they are and they've managed to get themselves back into the race for the top four. So he's he's obviously had a positive effect at the moment. Yeah, well, they've got Liverpool and Everton in the next two. They're a point outside the top four. I mean, they could really do with winning those two games, couldn't they, Angelina? 100%. Um, and, you know, like, touching on like what Joel said, you know, it is great to... It's great to see them, you know, playing well. Um, I am excited for the future with Chelsea. Um, you know, I still think I want to see a little bit more from them when you look at that quality that they've got on the pitch. But yeah, I think those next two games will be vital, um, not only as an extra boost regarding that top four, but also, you know, for extra morale for the team. I think that Liverpool, you know, will be a tough test as much as people like to maybe attempt to write them off because they have, they've struggled at times. You know, that's mm. still a quality team. Um, that could 100% disrupt things for Chelsea. Yeah. Everton, I'm excited for that game. Um, you know, but I think that as well as Everton have been playing, you know, if Chelsea wants to be in the mix, you know, beating Everton should be, you know, just a box tick, keep it moving kind of thing. Mm. Well, Manchester City extended their winning run to 20 victories when they beat top four hopefuls West Ham 2-1 in Saturday's early kickoff. Um, I felt like this was the toughest test City have had for a while and, and West Ham actually had the better XG, which you don't see very often. Um, does that suggest City's winning run could end soon, Joel, or do they just keep finding new ways to win for you? West Ham were great and I thought they maybe were a bit himself on looking not to get something out of the game but uh, on the other hand it never felt in the second half and once City were ahead it never felt like West Ham were going to get back into it um, I think the question about the winning run it's if that, that winning run's going to end at some point mm. but the thing is it can end with a draw so it's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing and, and, and yeah it obviously will end towards the end of the season I mean it's hard to think about it not ending and not continuing because it'll, it will be we're talking world records, not not just European football records, but world football records. If they end up doing it at the end of the season, it's hard to ask them to do it. And, and yeah. the thing is, once they win the title, <clears throat> you imagine that the gas will, you know, sort of the, sorry, the foot will take off the gas a bit, and they might slip up with a you know a mad result here or there. Then, um, and they'll probably end up doing that by the end of March. So <laughs> let's see about that. Yeah, but yeah, it, 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 it will. Um, but the, the thing is, they just got to make sure that. That unbeaten run and the winning run, you know, doesn't end in the Champions League because that's probably <laughs> the, fo- the focus has got to turn to that at some point. And um, as well as City, I've, I've been doing obviously the question marks will come over them when it gets to the quarterfinals and and Guardiola's records in in recent years and that and and, and that's when the scrutiny will come. But you know, at the moment, they're just brilliant and it, it just. You alluded to it there about finding different ways to win. They, they were nowhere near their best on Saturday, um, but they, they got the goal. They got two two centre half scored the goals. Mm. And you know when you haven't got your, your the players that City have got up front in the midfield, when they're not doing the business, you have somehow got your your two really good centre halves doing the business for you. Yeah. It's not a bad situation to be in, is it? Not at all. No, well, they, they need twenty five points now to mathematically guarantee the title, and that relies on United winning every game between now and the end of the season. So if City beat them in the derby next next week, that that number drops significantly. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of checking them off now, I guess, isn't it? Um, they conceded a goal here, but they won the game courtesy of goals from Ruben Diaz and John Stones, as you said. One of the stats of the season so far, courtesy of the Telegraph's James Ducker, he says Stones and Diaz have scored more goals than they have conceded in the sixteen games they 
they've started together for City this season, which is pretty mad. Uh, but someone replied to that tweet saying, what do you expect when you spend £100 million on two defenders? I mean, yeah, but there's more to it than that though, isn't there, Angelina? <laughs> yeah, I mean, of, of course, if you spent that much money on players, you do expect them to play well, but there is more to it. I mean... Um, you know, for me, looking at Diaz, I think he's just been an absolute catalyst. Um, mm. I think since he's come in, he has just progressed with the team and he's just shown how important he is for the team. Um, you know, and I think he's just so solid at the back. He's consistent, not only with, you know, great positioning in difficult situations, his composure, his awareness within that back four. Um, you know, and I read something a few weeks ago about him being compared to Virgil van Dijk regarding the impact that he's had not necessarily on the same level I guess you two can argue that one out but um, just in coming into a team and creating so much noise I guess Um, and I guess when you look at City you look at you know the impact of somebody you know like Vincent Company when he was in the defence not only talented but a leader you know a great communicator he was able to command that back line you know maybe Diaz could be the answer you know to City for maybe having that kind of new leader in defence, who knows? Um, And obviously, you know, talking about John Stones, you cannot ignore the fact that since Diaz's arrival, we've seen a huge improvement. He's Mm. a player reborn. Um, That partnership looks so solid, um, especially with other defenders not really being able to get a game Mm -hmm. for you guys. Um, I read something that Diaz and Stones are being compared to the new Vidic and Ferdinand. I don't know if you guys will appreciate that comparison or not. I'm not too sure. <laughs> I'll um, take that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. with regards to their chemistry on the pitch and stuff. Um, but I just think for Stones, he's a great example of a player that for whatever the reasons were, he struggled. But he's carried on fighting, he's carried on working hard and he's proof that it can pay off when you do that. And, you know, as a football fan, taking out, you know, the red part of me, you know, it's great to see, you know, like a good player that deserves to be where he is. He struggled, he's fought back and, you know, he's reaping the benefits of it. And I think it's great to see the two of them in the partnership that they've got. Yeah, just, just on Stones, I think it's, you know, as Angelina said, it's, it's incredible, the, you know, his redemption, let's say. But I think when he played for last, he last played for England sort of in the Nations League game and semi-final against the Netherlands um, a couple of years ago he makes a mistake in that game and costs them the game and, and I think he's, he's hardly been sort of called up since he's been in and out and Southgate doesn't seem to trust him but I think the form he's shown this season if he isn't starting for England in the Euros in the first game it's scandalous really it's the best centre half in the league at the moment so yeah. think, you know, it, and the only person who would be a bum is, is his teammate Ruben Diaz and that's it it's got to be him and Maguire for England you would say wouldn't you I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, it makes me laugh, though, when, whenever City are doing well, when all these sort of uh, arguments about money start coming up and, oh, what do you expect if you spend that much money? And and I'm looking forward to when City eventually win the Champions League because if, if, if it's just that simple to buy success, then we'll know exactly how much it costs to buy the Champions League, won't we? That's the one trophy they've not won so far. So we'll know to the exact penny how much it costs to buy the Champions League and then we can all just sort of... <laughs> do something else with our weekends, I guess, and, and not worry about football anymore. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Sergio Aguero started a game together for the first time since February 2020 against West Ham. Um, neither were particularly brilliant, although De Bruyne did assist the first goal with that amazing left-footed cross. Um, as for Aguero, he's out of contract in the summer. Can you imagine City will offer him an extension based on this showing and his sort of in recent injury record, Joel? I think it possibly could become the end of the line for him, which, mm. you know, it's mad. I feel like mad saying that to a Man City fan and, and, and mad saying that about Sergio Aguero because he's obviously one of the best players in, in City's history and one of the best players in, in the Premier League era, uh, which I don't necessarily think he gets the credit he deserves for that because he, 
this golf scoring record's phenomenal. It cost thirty eight million pounds, by the way, if you wanted to know the price tag. I mean that was that's pretty good value for money, isn't it? I would say. <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs> Just buying the league, but yeah. fine. Nah, I'll leave that. No, I, I, the thing is with Aguero, I, I, I um, covered the game on Sassim and wrote in a sort of analytical piece afterwards that I think it probably could be the start of the end of Aguero at City because I, I, I just think, one, it's, it's hard to criticise player for, for injuries and his injury record, so I won't, but because it's, it's not fair, it's not their fault. But um, the thing is, when you're a team who wants to try and win Champions Leagues and Premier Leagues you know, year after year, you know, there's only so long you can start you know, tr- trusting a player who's picking up knocks and at some point your body's just going to you know, give up on you and you're not going to be able to, to play regularly. And I think that's maybe happened with Aguero now. Um, for years he's had injuries, but he's come back and he's, he's been sharp and he's been great and, and recovered quite well. Doesn't seem to be doing that as quickly this year. But I also think from a sort of tactical point of view, it might just be a case of he's finally, Guardiola might be finally have an excuse to move on from him. Mm. Uh, I, I say that because when he first came in, there was a lot of criticism and sort of scepticism about Aguero and Guardiola and whether he was his type of striker. And obviously, he, he was because he's been scoring the goals for years for them. But I always thought Guardiola doesn't like that type of striker, but because it's Aguero, you've got to get him in. Mm. And and now he's now got sort of credit in the bank to sort of get him out a bit because City's now gone on this win and run without Aguero being the team. And they've got hardly other striker in the team. And I think he likes the sort of false nine type striker, which Gabriel Jesus, who I don't necessarily rate, but he can do that role a bit better than Aguero. And I think City probably going to try and buy number, number nine in the summer. And I, and I, I think a time for Aguero has come to an end which is you know sad to say I'd say from a City fan's point of view yeah. but also from a Premier League point of view I'm not sure what you think on that Dan whether you think it's bollocks or no I think you're right I think you're right I think I think uh, they're definitely going to be looking for a new number nine in the summer whether that be someone like Erling Haaland that's going to make it difficult for Aguero to stay I mean from a financial perspective as well I mean City do have to balance the books to an extent can they justify yeah, paying 300 grand a week to a guy who has got a knee problem that he can't shake off is not really performing at the same levels he was is the wrong side of 30 I don't know anymore really for sentimental reasons I would love him to stay especially because he's yeah. probably going to leave without fans being there to you know cheer him off the pitch of his last game and all that kind of thing but yeah it's, I think they would have sorted it by now basically if they were going to offer him a yeah, new contract it's March like his, his contract's out at the end of June so yeah um, speaking of West Ham I wasn't uh, sure before this game exactly how good they were I thought they were excellent in this game particularly in the first half and I think they were genu- genuinely good side with a genuine shout for top four would you go along with that Angelina? Um, yeah, you know what, I, I would. Um, and they actually had quite a few decent chances. Um, and, you know, some could argue that they were unlucky to maybe not get a point from that game just because they did have a few decent chances, like I say. And I mean, God dare I say it, David Moyes, he's looking like a decent manager <laughs> who knows how to get the most out of a team. I mean, I don't know if he's showing them, you know, old Everton clips or something like he did. <laughs> Back at his time at Old Trafford, I'm not too sure, but he knows how to get the most out of them. It's a decent squad, you know, um, looking at, you know, the players that they've got, the depth, etc. Talented players, you know, a few different names for goal scoring opportunities, etc. So I think why not? What, just because they're called West Ham, they shouldn't be, you know, within a shout because mm-hmm. everyone knows that they always kind of end up about middle of the table. 100%, you know what? If the performances are reflecting, where they are in the league and how well they're playing, which they are, then why why can't they be in the mix? You know, why not shake it up a little bit? Do I feel like they maybe may falter as things go on, as things get a little bit more intense towards the end of the season? 
perhaps it could happen, but that could happen with any team. Um, and I think it is really refreshing to see another team coming up into this mix and kind of putting themselves out there and saying, you know what, we're maybe not the team that you would expect to be here, but we're here. We've worked hard. We've made some good signings. It's paying off. You know, our manager knows how to handle us. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not mad at them. I think it's great to see them playing so well. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that sort of convinced me of, of how, how decent they are was in the second half, they brought Jared Bowen and Saeed Ben-Rama off the bench. I mean, that's proper strength and depth, isn't it, Joel? I agree. Yeah, it is. Um, it's exciting to both because if you ever need to try and change the game, they're two not bad players to have. And and, and Jared Bowen does tend to start most games. And I, I think, obviously, he more has tried to sort of sacrifice him to offer more defensive solidity in this one. He's really not a bad player to have off the bench. The issue you have in terms of depth, though, does come up front to an extent mm. because if I do worry for them. I, I think they've got a great shot for top four, and, and they shouldn't be sort of people shouldn't turn their nose up at that. But if Mikel Antonio does get injured, they, they don't necessarily have an out and out striker to go up there, and Antonio's not necessarily an out and out striker himself. He's a right back, essentially, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> right back to him, striker. Yeah. Like Steve Watson, one for the kids. Um, <laughs> But um, I think if he gets injured, I mean, maybe Ben Rama can possibly play up there, but not necessarily like, likes to float around. And, and the same for Bowen. Um, so that, that's if they have an issue. If they'll have an issue there if Antonio does get injured. But everyone else on the pitch, they look great at the moment and, and, and absolutely fair play to them. Yeah, well, Jesse Lingard looks great. Um, what do you think he's added to this team, Angelina? Oh, Jesse Lingard. <laughs> um, you know what? Um, he provides them with that extra option going forward. He's someone who can hit the ball well, um, you know, provide you with good chances here and there like we saw. He is quick. You know, he's 28, apart from maybe the last season or two. You know, he does have, you know, quite a wealth of experience, really. Um, and I think as well, um, you know, he's somebody that can give defenders a tough time, as we saw at times, you know, um, in that game. And he's almost an unknown entity, you know, a bit of a surprise player because... No one knows which Lingard's rocking up at the end of the day. Mm. Like nobody really knows what's going on. Um, I think you know every every Man United fan knows what he can possess. He's not been able to demonstrate it. He's had a good a tough time, you know, personal life, etc. I'm not going to lie; it's frustrating watching him. Hundred <laughs> percent frustrating because you know you see him with all this swagger and confidence, doing his little dances and all that. Where's that been, mate? Where's that been? <laughs> but you know what? I've got no idea. We move, you know, whatever. I'm probably maybe not his biggest fan, I'll be honest, just because I personally think a game is being played here. I think employing the agent that he did, etc. But mm. that's another story. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, if he's playing well, you know, looking at him as a footballer, he struggled. Another player that we've seen struggle, he's playing well. Hats off to him. Like I say, he's somebody that can create some great chances for West Ham, as we've seen so far. And let's hope this continues for him. But do you think his, uh, his Manchester United career is over? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so, to be honest. I mean, like I say, I, I won't go too deep into this, but 100%, I personally feel a game is being played. I think he's gone to West Ham with set intentions and I don't think those intentions are to return to Manchester United right. put it that way Alright, fair enough uh, Well Tottenham gave their top four hopes a shot in the arm with a 4-0 win over Burnley on Sunday First question on this one Joel is Gareth Bale back? I think we might have to accept that Gareth Bale might be back you know <laughs> two goals in this it's not bad is it and he's looking happy you know the, you know, the golf courses are opening in the UK very soon so <laughs> Gareth Bale's well and truly back 
Yeah. Jose Mourinho said before this game that Baylor's got his confidence back in recent weeks. Is that the vibe you're getting from him too, Angelina? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I also must give a shout out to Spurs because I love that when he scored and that like rave dance music started playing, <laughs> like he just scored a goal to get them into a cup final or something. I'm, I must rate uh, the people behind the scenes at Spurs for that. But um, I mean, all jokes aside, it's great to see him, you know, scoring goals. Um, and no disrespect to Burnley, but, you know, they are 15th. And these are the types of goals we want to see Bale scoring. These are the types of goals that he should be scoring freely. You know, he should be finding these opportunities against, you know, a weaker side. Um, But yeah, I think the way that you can see, the way he's carrying himself, the way he played in the game, you know, cool, calm and collected, very exciting to watch. And I think, you know, he is a He's a player for me personally that I've always kind of rooted for. You know, he was the superstar in the Premier League. He got that dream move to Madrid. I think it was always going to be difficult for him shining alongside, you know, you've got Ronaldo, Di Maria, Kaká, etc. And I personally feel like he has been hard done by in Madrid. I don't think enough respect has been put on his name. Um, Yeah, injuries have affected him. So for me personally, I think it's really nice to see him comfortable and happy. And I think Real Madrid will either want that bail back and use him, which I don't really see happening, or they'll be rubbing their hands together, happy that he's playing well so they can offload him and his wages to Spurs, um, which would be great for Bale as well because he'd be playing for a club with a lot less drama going on where he's seemingly happy, is respected and he's being you know, given opportunities. Yeah, it's interesting because they were sort of saying the other week that oh, he's definitely going back to Real Madrid at the end of the season. But the way he's playing now, Tottenham might have to wear uh, change it's their like, stance on that It's one. like yeah. he knows. It's like he suddenly checked his calendar and thought, "Oh <laughs> shit, hang on, I'm going to be shipped <laughs> off back to Real Madrid yeah, yeah. in a bit. I need to sort myself out. Hang on a minute." <laughs> um, did you both see the uh, the Roy Keane and Jamie Radnap spat on Sky Sports <laughs> before the game about Tottenham <laughs> squad? My favourite thing about that is how Keane was doing his like crazy eyes thing at the screen, despite the fact Radnap won't have been able to see him. Like he, he can just see the camera, like he can't see you there Roy doing your little intimidation thing um, very, I'll live for it. very bizarre behaviour from both of them I thought Redknapp was going to cry at the end I felt a bit sorry for him actually um, Mourinho started this game in an attacking manner with uh, Bale, Lucas Moura, Kane and Son as his front four and then and Dombele as part of the midfield two behind them do you think that's the way forward for Spurs now Joel does, does Jose need to loosen the shackles permanently well he's put pressure on himself in, in a way now because he's shown that he can do that and he's got the team to play that way and you know, it's worked, and you know they got a very good results. Um, mm. And and the thing is, when when they come up against these you know teams that are lower down the table, they especially at home they they should be playing like that. And um, the fans will, will have been crying out for that, and they'll carry on crying out for that now that you've seen it. The, the thing is, Jose can't resist you know, pressing the red button. And <laughs> as you know, they, they play for him in midweek, and I think you know, pull him away, and that's the kind of game that Spurs should go on and win. But the thing is, it would be surprised me at all if Moussa Soko comes back in and, and they try and shut up shop a bit more and mm. you know go for, go for the early goal and sit back like they have been doing because that's just how that's just the way Jose Mourinho's built and that's just the way he's you know made a success over his career and uh, yeah I just I just don't see this being something that he sort of carries on to the end of the season and he and he should do because if if he can get Carrie Kane, Songman and and Bale playing like the way he did you know as a front three and you forget that he got Lucas Moore and and Dombley supporting him. That's that's top four level. That that will get them top four. Mm. If, if they can easily win, you know, 
eight, seven, eight games, nine games the rest of the season and get that top four spot if they, if they play like that. But I just don't see Mourinho uh, sticking to it. Well, that what you said about them sort of uh, scoring early and trying to close the game out was exactly what they did against Fulham at home earlier in the season, wasn't it? And yeah. they, they end up drawing Bain. that game. So if he's not learned his lesson from that, then he never will, will he, I guess? No, of course um, not. But, but yeah, the six points behind West Ham now, they've got Fulham at home and Crystal Palace in their next two. I mean, top four really isn't our reach, is it, Angelina? No, not at all. And I mean, I think the thing with Mourinho, like you said, he, he doesn't learn lessons. He's not here to learn lessons. He's here <laughs> to do what he wants. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you you look at them and you look at who's around them. You could argue that, you know, who knows? Everton could slip. West Ham could slip. Aston Villa could. Arsenal may not have enough for that final push. Maybe Leicester will suffer, you know, with the injuries, etc. I think you cannot call that top four and they could still 100% push. Uh, those next two games are totally winnable, I think. Um, but, you know, whilst it's good to be positive, as much as I say those teams could slip, those teams could also not slip. Um, <laughs> and you've also got to think of, you know, Liverpool, you know, will probably have a really positive final push. Chelsea are playing well. Um, you know, I mentioned Leicester and West Ham. You know, they couldn't slip. You know, you, they may not slip, sorry. You've got United as well. Um, so do Spurs have enough to kind of continue to win and be consistent whilst maybe knocking all of these teams out I'm not too sure um but I just think you can't call it I think they've they've got the potential whether it happens or not I'm not sure mm. well as for Burnley they're now five points clear of the relegation zone with Leicester Arsenal and Everton to come in March their Premier League state is suddenly looking a bit precarious again isn't it Joel yeah, they've looked safe for months, but not at the moment. Mm. They're right back in it now. Um, and, and fair play to Fulham for drafting them back in it, really, with, with the form they've been in. The, the thing is, with Burnley, they, they've been bunched above their weight for years. And eventually, you know, I do think they will end up going down unless there's major investments and a major change of style and and, uh, and mentality at the club. But it, it's fair play to them. Hats off to them for managing to last this long. And, and, and the thing is, and, and it's a credit, that sounds like sort of a backhanded compliment, but it's a credit to them because I, I always think the name three to fixtures there, but I still think at some point they, they manage to always sneak away and, and grab the wins. And they always seem to be in trouble around, you know, February, March. But then when it comes to the final six, five games of the season, you know, they're, they're safe and, and, and the feet up. And I think they've got just enough about them to do it this season. Only just, I think, you know, looking at Leicester away, Leicester at home next game, it wouldn't surprise you to get three points from that. And, and you know what? They probably need two more wins to stay up, to be honest, if you yeah. look how bad Newcastle are at the moment. So, yeah. and the situation Newcastle find themselves in with Almiron, St. Maxman out for pretty much the rest of the season. So, I think Bailey will be all right, but. They have to pick up a win in the next couple of weeks for sure. Mm. I saw someone on Twitter over the weekend saying Pep Guardiola is just Sean Dyche with a checkbook, <laughs> which is, is a brilliant mental image. Could you imagine Sean Dyche with a, te- a checkbook? Like he'd, he'd just buy every centre back in the Championship, wouldn't he? Basically, or, or something like that. Yeah, give me all the English players you have. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps the surprise of the weekend took place at the King Power Stadium on Sunday when Arsenal beat Leicester three-one. Uh, like a lot of people, I thought Nicolas Pepe was man of the match here. Do you think he's he's really settled down now, Angelino? And do you expect him to? to go and uh, fulfil his potential with Arsenal? You know what? I've spoken to a few Arsenal fans about this one. Believe it or not, Manchester United fans and Arsenal fans can be friends. Um, <laughs> um, I think he was man of the match for me too. Um, I think maybe he's starting to make a bit of a slight turn. Um, I think the main thing here is consistency. Um, it was a big move for big money. 
it's understandable why people are annoyed. You know, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be annoyed. Well, I'd be annoyed about a lot of things. But yeah, <laughs> um, sometimes it takes players a bit of time to adjust. In this case, quite a bit of time. Um, mm. But yeah, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction with Arsenal. It feels... This is the thing with Arsenal is that I, I'm feeling like it's, you know, they make a, a decent step forward and then there's like two steps back and mm. it's just all over the show a bit. But they are moving forward. Whatever pace that is, is up for debate. <laughs> um, but I think um, I think definitely I, I am hopeful that we do see, you know, the real Nicolas Pepe. May he please stand up now. So <laughs> f- fingers crossed, really. But I've also, I don't know, have you guys heard about this hand tape rumour? Um, I heard something about this actually yeah go on so Arsenal fans (laughs) grasping at straws with this superstition that they've got so Pepe wears like a a hand tape or something which I'm assuming is for some kind of hand or finger injury or maybe he just likes it I don't Mm. know but everyone feels like this has helped him like discover his form because the tape (laughs) was first pointed out in January when he was wearing it and he scored to help Arsenal win 3-1 away um, against Southampton um, he's apparently scored another two goals wearing it. Um, so, yeah, everyone reckons that he's got to carry on wearing this hand tape. So <laughs> maybe there's something going on with that. If you're into superstition, I don't know. But hand tape or not, I, I wish him the best. That's interesting, yeah, because I remember Jamie Vardy having like really good form when he had a broken wrist a few years ago. I think it was the, the year they won the, the title, actually. Do you remember that? Yeah. When they had, like, that maybe that broken bones thing. are the answer. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, William chipped in with two assists here, meaning he's now got four in the Premier League this season, more than any other Arsenal player. Uh, Joel, does that suggest that A, Arsenal fans have been harsh in their criticism of William this season, or B, assists aren't a particularly useful metric of analysing a player's performance? Could well be the latter, because he has been absolutely terrible for them mm. um, you know he, he, when he does start when he does play he's he just he just doesn't look like the player that he was five six years ago which I guess he isn't because you know he, you know age just gets to the best of us you're telling me that um, and, and I think he just he sort of lost his sort of spark and, and dynamism that he had at Chelsea and I, I, I don't think he's been necessarily a good sign for them and it's been noticeable since he's been out of the team that they've They've improved by you know by bringing uh, Bukayo Saka in and Emil Smith Rowe and, and and playing sort of younger fellas and, and and getting them in the team and in his position more often than not and, and I think they've improved what I'm in. Um, he gets two as assist on Sunday, doesn't he? But and, and, and fair play to me, he, he does. You know, he did play well on Sunday, so maybe there is a sign that there is still a player there, and, and also fans will hope so um, because he was a great player on his day. But you know, I, th- I think he's long gone, and mm. maybe let Sunday was just. Flashing the pants. Yeah, I, I personally think all the chat about assists has gone way too far because you're getting people talking about pre-assists now. It's just getting yeah, ridiculous, isn't it? How far back do we go? Do we give the guy's mum a pre-assist for giving birth to him or something? Like it's of just. <laughs> Yeah, the pass before the pass before the pass. Yeah, forget it, forget it. Um, well, Mikel Arteta said afterwards that Arsenal had to be clinical here and he referenced defeats to uh, Wolves and Aston Villa last month of examples of games where not being clinical cost them. But Angelina, how exactly does a manager make their team more clinical, do you think? Million dollar question, yeah. isn't it? Um, put, put the ball in the net more, please. It's not like as simple as that, is it? Yeah, yeah um, but you know, I, I think that being clinical is all about 
you know taking your chances and utilizing them it's about you know being efficient you know not letting your emotions you know about what's maybe been happening what is happening take over you know you've got to be functional you've got to be clean in the way that you're playing um so yeah I assume a lot of it is about focus as well and not letting kind of the outside things distract you I think as a manager you're going to want your team to mentally like I say be more focused um maybe focusing on you know the quality of what you're actually doing not just quantity of like having a shot having a shot having a shot but taking those shots and actually creating something with it practicing you know on your functionality as a team how you're moving the ball together and I think not just moving forward but you know being focused in defense as well taking each moment and getting the job done rather than you know scrambling or panicking Um, and I think being more clinical comes with confidence as well which I think you know Arsenal have of course you know been lacking at times so yeah I guess it's a bit of a mixed bag of stuff but I think definitely you know focusing on taking those chances and actually creating something yeah well there's all this debate at the moment about xg and you know the sort of uh the old the old dinosaur fellas don't like it do they and say it's load of bollocks <laughs> and all that matters is the scoreline and all that kind of thing and it's like well yeah but xg kind of tells you how to improve the scoreline that's the yeah. kind of guide to which position do you need to be in to score the goals isn't it so uh i'm sure the, the the premier league managers know a bit more about that than we do um leicester got knocked out of the europa league in midweek and they lost this game is it time to get the brendan rogers fraudometer out of storage yet again joel <laughs> Uh, it's dusty, but it's time to bring it out. No, <laughs> I, I feel I feel really sorry for him, but um, because the, the injuries have, have been piling up and stacking up, and they come at the wrong time. I mean, the Europa League defeats a, a, a real killer, a real shock because they would have fancied themselves to get at least to the final eight on that one. Um, and yeah, they're missing Barnes now, probably for the majority of the rest of the season, talking six weeks. Mm. You know, Madison seems to be picking up knocks here and there and everywhere at the moment and it's it's a real, real issue and, and, and I think it's just gonna come at the wrong time for them. And and obviously the thing is you would expect they've learned from last season where, you know, they're in the top four for most of the season and drop out on the final day. But the thing is if they haven't learned from it, it, it can be a real psychological blow and That'll be on Rogers' mind at the moment, and it might happen again. And they'll be on the players' minds, and you think they've lived through it and that they can come through it this time, but they might not, and it, and it, it might really come back to haunt them again. And um, I'd be fearing for them at the moment. But I guess they've got the game against Burnley, which I think they might lose. But if they don't, then that, you know that's a perfect chance to get back on track and get it on straight away. You know, a couple of days after the defeat, and see where you go from there. But it's a tricky time, I think, for the Foxes. Yeah, that Barnes injury is really going to hurt them, and I think Johnny Evans got injured against Arsenal as well, didn't he? So uh, that's, mm. that could be a big blow for them. Uh, Liverpool's miserable run of results finally came to an end with a two-nil win at Sheffield United on Sunday night. Uh, what's the mood around Liverpool after this result, Joel? I mean, you lost Jordan Henderson to injury last week. There was the the tragic death of Allison's father. Is there, there a sense of relief that you finally had something positive to enjoy at the weekend yeah I would say so I think it was nice to wake up on a Monday morning and you know not have you know regret having to look at all the <laughs> Twitter and that's horrible isn't it that, that when you wake up the day after uh, a game and you remember what happened the day before like oh for fuck's oh, sake yeah. Yeah, you try and put out your mind but you, you just can't yeah. <laughs> um, the, the mood's a bit better it's still you know, nothing's easy at the moment for Liverpool, let's say. But the thing is, that's completely turned around because it was a good performance. It was a very good performance. Um, and I, I think, sort of in the game at half-time, you know, Liverpool in that first half missed some golden chances. And, and, and you're thinking, oh, here we go again. Playing against a team with a low block, but at least we're creating chances this time, but still not putting the ball in the back of the net. And you know, we, we put that right in the second half. And, and so there is a relief, and, you know, a bit, a bit of confidence and positivity coming back, but... 
it's, it's still, you know, Liverpool's still there for the taking at the moment because of the amount of injuries they have. And, mm. you know, that we're only one more away from it being a complete disaster again because and losing Henderson's bad enough. But if you're going to lose another midfielder, oh, God forbid, another centre half, then Liverpool are in serious trouble. I think they are anyway. But the, the thing is, you've got a week now where Liverpool got Chelsea on Thursday and Fulham on Sunday. And I don't fancy them to pick up six points from both those games. But if they do pick up, if they, if they win, do win both. They won three on the bounce, and it's a completely different picture. And mm. we'll be sitting here next Monday, Tuesday, and and Liverpool will be, I think, right back on the on the travel to get into the top four. But um, it's a bit better than last week. But you know, it's still you know a bit sore. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned injuries there. I mean, you've got Naby Keita coming back now. If he, if he can stay fit, how important do you think he could be for Liverpool? It's trouble with Naby. I personally, in a way, and I don't like saying it again about players with injuries, but I completely don't think Liverpool can trust him going forward. Mm. Um, again, not his fault, but he's someone who picks up injuries on regular occurrences and, that, and has done over the past couple of seasons. And you know, it's just not making enough appearances for for a team wanting to win the Champions League and the Premier League. Um, and and he, he is a good player, but I don't I don't think he's shown what he did at RB Leipzig, where you know he played in a two man midfield and. He ran the show. He ran the show in the Bundesliga, and he was great. And he really was one of the most exciting prospects in, in European football when he signed. But he's shown only glimpses of that at his time in Anfield. And you keep thinking every time he steps on the pitch at this time he will do it. But it's only so long you can you can do that. You know, he's been at the club for pretty much three years now, mm. and I don't think he's done enough. And it's great to have him back as a body and as an option off the bench. And Jürgen Klopp, you know, still trusts him and still thinks he can do the job. And and, you know, if he can show even 75% of what he did at Leipzig, then Liverpool got a good player from now until the end of the season. But I personally think when it comes to the end of the season, the club's got to make a decision on on players like him and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who just sadly just aren't available enough. Mm. Uh, what about Ozan Kabak? I mean, that there was talk when he signed that it was a kind of try-before-you-buy deal. Have you seen enough from him to suggest he's worth permanently signing in the summer? It's, no, but it's it's tough because he's a 20-year-old lad who's coming in to be pretty much, in a way, the senior centre-half, you know, even though Nat Phillips is older than him and, and more experienced. But Phillips has played you know, a lower level than the Quebec has. And the Quebec's also playing alongside centre-midfielders uh, mm. at the back. So it's, it's a lot of pressure to put on him. Um, I think he was fine on Sunday against Sheffield United. Um, he nearly scores a comical own goal, which thankfully. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> just would have been the cherry on the ice and on the cake for the rest of Liverpool season. But <laughs> he's, he's, he's looked a bit sort of balls going in over the top of him and, and losing headers and, and a bit suspect. But he's come into a team that likes to play on the front force and, you know, takes a lot of risks with their defenders. And, you know, that's a lot. It takes a lot to get used to. And, don't forget, he's also been playing for one of the worst teams in the Bundesliga, for probably the worst team in, in the history of the Bundesliga, in the way <laughs> Schalke have had their season. Yeah. And I think he'd only won one of the last 49 games before he joined us, which is just, you know, that, that takes a lot to get into. Confidence will be shot to bits, won't he? Exactly, yeah. What about, uh, what about Ben Davis? Where is he? Has Klopp explained why he hasn't been playing? Did, did you actually sign him or did I imagine that? I can't remember. Uh... <laughs> that was a figment of my imagination. Yeah. Um, 
the, the it's a weird one because he's been playing 90 minutes regularly all season for Preston, but mm. the noise has come out is that he's just not ready for, you know, for a physical aspect and from a fitness point of view. And he did pick up a little knock a couple of weeks ago, but I don't. I think he's been training um, regularly enough. He was definitely in training before a Sheffield United game. So it is surprising not to see him on the bench. And you do wonder whether he, we might actually see him at all and, mm. or whether he's come in and the club seems that he's maybe just not up to it. And, I guess until we see him on the pitch, we won't be able to get the answer to that. But um, you know, at the moment, it is a fitness thing, and you know we'll, we'll have to see. But I, I don't really see him playing more than five games between now and the season. To be honest, mm. well, Sheffield United are now the first side since Newport County in the fourth tier in 1970-71 to lose at least 21 of their first 26 matches in an English football league season. They're going down. I don't really have much else to say about them at this point. To be honest, I'm, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. I guess really, it's just. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, there's just nothing, is there? There's nothing there to, to sort of grasp onto at this point. They might as well just go, oh, forget it. We'll just forfeit the rest of the season now. Um, but Everton are just three points off fourth with a game in hand after they won 1-0 against Southampton on Monday night. That's now five goals in his last five games for Richarlison. I don't think he's world-class yet, but how far away from being world-class do you think he is, Angelina? Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't put him in the world-class box just yet. Um I think maybe working on upping his goal tally a little bit. Um, he just seems to be on track to beat last season, um, which is good. Um, and I think there are periods where he's still playing well, but for me, I guess with the goals, he goes a little bit MIA um, and I don't always see that 100% star quality. Mm. You know, he's only 23, um, you know, maybe give him a season or two more. Um, but, you know, yeah, it might not be world-class, but it takes a lot to be world-class. You can still be a brilliant player um, and you know over you know a couple of years he's been you know consistent for Everton even with the new players that have come in etc he still managed to perform adapt etc um, and I think when you look at some of the goals he scores you know they are important goals you know that maybe will open the scoring which is maybe what they need to give them that push of momentum or maybe you know the winner etc so I think he's extremely important for that team, 100%. I agree with the world class, but I think there's nothing to stop him in the next couple of seasons becoming you know, one of the top players in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, Alan made his first start for Everton since the 16th of December in this game. I, I was really impressed with the start of the season, Joel. How crucial do you think he could be for them in the running? He could be pivotal, because what he does is different to the other midfielders that they have. Um, in terms that he can break up play really well, he can you know hassle players, uh, opponents, and, and win the ball back, and, and then maybe give it to you know a player who can do a bit more creatively, uh, creatively should I say? And then you know he brings a lot of energy to that midfield. Um, I, I you know this will sort of play Tom Davis in his place. He's done an all right job and, and deserves credit, but he's just not like for like replacements. Um, so so it could be something because what he does and and, and when Everton were sort of being talked about being title challengers earlier on in the season. It was because Alan was there in midfield, you know, providing the base for, you know, the likes of you know, Decoy to get forward and Sixon to go do his business and Rodriguez has to, then he doesn't have to track back as much because Alan can do the job there and he sort of does the job as two or three players at Alan and then and I think that's a, that's a big boost for Ancelotti and Everton, and, and I think they're right in the picture for you're the top four. Mm. Well, as for Southampton, that's now nine Premier League games without a win. I recently called Ralph Hasenhutl the Austrian Mark Hughes in a conversation I had with Joel. Am I being harsh there, Angelina, or, or are you starting to have doubts about old Ralph too? Of course I'm having doubts. I mean, what's going on? I mean, what was it he told them when when they were... You know, do you remember when they went to the top of the Premier League all those months ago? Mm. Um, and he was like, anything is possible, you know. 
I'm expecting big things from a man that is saying anything is possible. You know, he wasn't trying to keep them like, listen, guys, don't get too ahead of ourselves. Mm. We've just got to, you know, focus on our games. He's like, nah, if anything's possible, we, you know, that to me, you basically, we could win this, we could lose it, we could end up <laughs> middle of the table, we could be relegated. The possibilities are endless, guys. I don't want a manager that's telling me the possibilities are endless. I want to be focused on what we are doing. Um, I mean, when he said that, I don't think he probably thought about relegation. But <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I'm I'm worried. I think it's um, he's he's had some all right moments, but I think you know the, there are some good players in that team, um, and I just feel like you know he's not getting the best out of them. It's a downward spiral. I I'm not too sure what's going on. I don't know if it's going to get better. Um, you know, we, he can say, you know, we, it's frustrating. It's not going how we want it to. This will be a lesson for us. We'll improve in the future. There ain't that much left, mate. Mm. Like you really need to sort it out now. Um, so yeah, I I can totally understand why people are maybe seeing a different side to him. That maybe he's not as as fantastic as maybe people once thought. And yeah, they're, they're in trouble. They need to sort it out. Yeah. Do, do you Joel think he would still be in a job if he weren't such a fashionable name? I mean, he, he's overseen two 9-0 defeats in his time in charge. Nine games without a win now. He said himself his players had given up in the defeat to Leeds last week. You know, I keep hearing people talking about trusting processes over results in football, but it feels like they've taken one step forward, two steps back to me this season. What process are we supposed to trust to hear? <laughs> Um, it's quite the blots on the record book, that isn't it? Two mm. nil, that, that, nine when you nil, put it like that, yeah. yeah you, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I think you might, you might have a point there. I, there might be something, um, but early on in the season, you know, where, where they do go <laughs> top of the league, Southampton were playing well, and, and they were causing teams problems, and they were always in games, and and they they'd let you off the park, and and the thing is, they, they haven't really actually got a good team at all. But so I guess what Hasn't was doing was sort of. Sort of make it better than the, the sum of its parts, and you know, turning the team has got one really good player in Danny Ings, and and then building the rest of the team around him, and, and making sure they gave him the, the platform to perform on. And I think what's just happened now is that they've sort of been juggling the plates for a while, and and, and they just they just dropped them all. And mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the fact that they haven't got that many good players is bearing fruit. And and, and I guess you know. His, his you know job is going to come under scrutiny, and, and you know I do think they'll have enough to stay up. But you know maybe there is decisions to be made at St Mary's in, in the summer, and that's fair enough. But um, you know, got to wonder someone else has got to come in and pretty much do sort of what Sean Dice does from Burnley, where you you're fighting fires all the time and and punching above your weight on a consistent basis, which hasn't has done at times, but not enough at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone else got to come in and do that if he's not the, the man for the job. And and I guess right now, he doesn't look like he, he should be, to be honest. Yeah, well, they're on course for 43 points this season. They got 52 last season. I mean, I know it's a pandemic and all that sort of thing, but come on, it's not good, is it? It's it's, it's regression in, in the purest form. Yeah. Um, all right, let's have our weekly temperature check on the race for the Champions League spots then. Um, can you both give me your top four in order? You can go first, Joel. Yeah, obviously Manchester City. I would say Manchester United second. I would now go Chelsea third and Liverpool fourth, just. Okay. Angelina, for you? See, I was probably going to go with something very similar. Obviously, City, um, the biased side of me, is going to go for United in that second spot. Um, And then I think it's going to be really interesting what happens with those third and fourth places. Um, I think... 
you know what? I'm going to be nice to Joel because, you know, <laughs> I do I do give him a lot of hate, you know, for being a Liverpool fan, you know, and all that jazz. But, you know what? I'm going to try and be positive in that Liverpool maybe could get that third spot. You never know what could happen. And then have Chelsea coming in at fourth. Dream big, dream big. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. City, United, Chelsea, West Ham. I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm going for the, it. The, the race and the race. They're Absolutely. The they cannot be ruled out. That's all. They're the best team City have played in in months. I know that's not necessarily the best guide for how good a team are, but that's the that's. I was really impressed with them at the weekend. Yeah, they're so great. They're I'm really uh, interested to see what they do. Uh, probably the craziest game of the weekend took place at the Hawthorns on Saturday when West Brom beat Brighton one 0 But that doesn't even tell half the story. <laughs> uh, firstly, Angelina, what was your take on referee Lee Mason's decision to disallow Brighton in an equaliser for Lewis Lewis Dunk's uh, quick free kick in the first half? I mean, the official explanation is that he he whistled to allow the free kick to be taken then whistled again because there was some pushing and shoving in the wall and the second whistle was just before the ball crossed the line but why should that matter like none of it made a blind bit of difference to the actual play there did it the free kick was taken quickly it was going in whether he'd whistled or not what a shamble <laughs> yeah it's a mess like, isn't it <laughs> literally a hot mess I mean yeah like you say it was West Brom's Kyle Bartley I think that, like in one of the interviews I saw he was like he was like proper backing the ref. He was such a little ass kisser. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, the ref told me that he was blowing his whistle because of some pushing in the wall, not having it made. I've watched that wall. There was no pushing going on. Like, so why are you lying? <laughs> At the end of the day. Um, and and I, I get Louis Strunk's frustrations. And when he was being interviewed and he said, I'm being quizzed about it. I've got no idea. Speak to the man himself. Um, and I think what's happened at the end of the day um, I mean, I guess there's a reason why refs don't speak to the media because the amount of scrutiny and drama it would cause. But you can see Lewis Dunk, he clearly says something. Mm. You see Lee Mason nod his head. But the man has made a mistake because he's not realised that goalkeeper Sam Johnson is Johnston is clearly out of position. He's realised that he's maybe not checked, but it's too late. So he blows again. But at the end of the day... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that ain't Lewis Dunk's problem. Mm. If Sam Johnston is not ready to go, that's on him. That's on that team. That is not his fault. Um, and I, I get why he was so vexed because it's like if a teacher, like a supply teacher tells you that you can do something and then the real teacher comes in and says, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. And you're like, hang on a minute. She just told me I could do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Um, and I think I, I saw something um, on Match of the Day that he did it against Liverpool in 2019. Uh, yeah, that's uh, right, yeah. So it's, he, he's, you know, this is what he does. Um, at the end of the day, um, Lee Mason's made a mistake. From where I'm standing, though, um, I don't think that that that, um, that Brighton should be punished for his mistake. Um, mm. You know, it, it was all just very, very, very strange. And I think at the end of the day, um, I, I, I felt for Brighton. Yeah, people make mistakes. It's fine. Just come out and say yeah, you made a mistake. This yeah. is the thing. This is <laughs> the thing that the referee has got to own it here. Yeah, and I think people would have more respect if he had. Have, I mean, if he would have said, you know what, I panicked. I blew the whistle. I gave the goal. Blah blah blah. End of the day, the bottom line. You know, in the eyes of the law, he asked me if he could take it. The player's done nothing wrong. I've maybe messed up here, and it, it's just frustrating. It, it's just frustrating, and you know. If, if that game would have ended 1-1, you know, that could end up down the line being an important point for Brighton, you don't know. Mm. Well, speaking of quick free kicks, Gary Lineker was on Match of the Day saying that he thinks you should be able to take a free kick whenever you want and you should even be able to take it to yourself like in rugby. Do you think that would improve the game, Joel, or would it just make it chaotic? It'd be chaotic, but more for chaos, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I think there's something in that because I guess in a way, 
the point is when you when you award a free kick, it should be to the benefit of yourself and like the, the person who's been fouled. Um, so, so I guess you know, you know, getting referees to tell the other team and getting the opponents to get ready and make a wall and that. And I guess that's sort of put a disadvantage at the, the player who's been fouled in a way. And I know Arsenal Bengers mentioned the rule about kicking them to themselves and and carrying on. I'm not necessarily sure that looks great or even benefits anyone to be honest, but. Mm. Oh, let's go for it. Bring it, bring it in. I bring the MLS uh, penalty shootout rule from a couple of years ago in as well, where you just take it from the halfway line and just run towards the goal. Bring it all in. Yeah, what, it. what they should do, I reckon, is have like a sort of uh, just like a, a, a summer tournament every now and again where they just try all this stuff out and just see what yeah. it looks like. Just a bit like, you know, it doesn't mean anything. No one wins anything. No one loses anything. You just, you just have a bit of fun. Use the charity shield for it at the start of every yeah. season. 12 yard they box, they can bring that in. <laughs> it's basically like the page. Yeah. One game. Throw it all in. Exactly, yeah. Um, well, Brighton did get the chance to equalise from not not one but two penalties, both of which they missed. Uh, as Richard Jolly points out on Twitter, 12, 12.5% of missed penalties in the Premier League this season were missed by Brighton in this match. <laughs> um, am I the only one who didn't know that you're immediately, immediately flagged offside if you touch a penalty that comes back off the post? I watched that. That was a, a learning curve for me. Yeah. I noted that one down, yeah. Make that yeah. make sense. I don't get it at all, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that was Brighton's season in a nutshell, really, wasn't it? I mean, they played well, they couldn't score, um, and a manager can't really legislate for that. Do you think, Angelina, that Graham Potter is maybe a bit too good for Brighton, or perhaps you can't successfully execute his style of football unless you're a club who can afford top-quality players, like top-quality strikers, that's what they need, but can they afford one? I don't know. You know what? I, I, I totally get where you're coming from with that one. I mean, yeah, missing the two penalties isn't great, um, and you can't really blame Potter for that like that ain't his fault like he's not Harry Potter is he exactly (laughs) exactly like you know what he he is not he's not from you know the class of you know the 1970s in Hogwarts is he so (laughs) there's only so much he can do um so yeah I think that um he does I, I you know I like the style and everything but the players can't execute it um and that's not solely on him not solely on the manager at all. I guess people can argue that he has to take part of the blame. But if you've, I mean, you could argue that maybe, listen, this style isn't working. You've not got the quality of players for it. So you need to maybe alter your style. Or maybe, like you say, you need to move on to a club that can provide him with the players that he needs and they get somebody else in. I mean, you look at, you know, the players that they've got, you know, Danny Welbeck, as much as I root for the kid, you know, same part of Manchester as me. Mm. Like, I'll always root for him. He's been terrible. Um Aaron Connolly, you know, not great. Um, you know, um, Zakiri, you know, he did great in the Swiss Super League, but it's a different ball game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, and the, you know, relying on um, Mopé, who, you know, they, you can't solely rely on him and expect him to bang all the goals in. Um, and they had a, you know, they finished last season. Um, I think I was reading somewhere, you know, it was their highest points and goals in the Premier League. Um, you know, and they finished fifteenth with Potter, which is great, but. Yeah, I, I I probably would tend to agree in that I think something clearly isn't working. Um, and if it is the case that maybe Potter needs, you know, better players and if Brighton can't provide them, then maybe they need to, you know, assess the manager. Mm. You mentioned that thing about Danny Welbeck there. That reminds me of my mate Johnny from back home, who's a United fan and loves Danny Welbeck. And when Welbeck left United, he was so sad that he was like, I might just support Danny Welbeck and just kind of follow him from club to club. I suspect he's probably given up on that now, though. I don't think he, he, he wants to watch Brighton every week. Uh, I know a few people that are like that, that are literally team Danny Welbeck and will follow him wherever he goes. That man, <laughs> he may be a terrible player at the moment, but he has got some serious fans. 
fans. He's that I'd, guy, isn't he? That I, guy. I, I, I do the same for Paul Koncheski, to be honest. I just support Paul Koncheski. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that must be a pretty miserable existence then, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, another incredible stat from this weekend. West Brom's last five Premier League home wins have come on f- under five different managers. That's insane, it. isn't it? Uh, they've got Everton, Newcastle and Crystal Palace in their next three. That's a pretty season-defining run of games for them, isn't it, Joel? I think, I think so, but I think the season's already been defined. I, I don't see them getting out of it. Um, I think, talk about a great escape in that. Obviously, you know, quite exciting if you're a neutral viewer, but I think Fulham are more likely to drag themselves out of it and, and I probably will do so as well. I, I don't see West Brom doing it at all. I don't really see them getting close. Like, I know it's a very good result they get on Saturday, but, you know, they've just been too leaky at the back for, for weeks, mm. you know, and and Aldice has not showed up at defence. And okay, they keep a clean sheet on Saturday, but as against Brighton, you can't put the ball in the back of the net as well. You know, if you <laughs> give, give them open goals all game, you want to stick a ball in the back of the net. I, yeah, I, um, they'll be looking at Newcastle and Palace and thinking, you know, if they don't get six or four points from that, then then that's it. And that, but you know, maybe Newcastle they win a game. But I, I don't, I don't see them coming out of that and and, and looking anywhere near still getting out of it. Now, for the done. Mm. Uh, well, Aston Villa are just six points off the top four after they won one nil away at Leeds on Saturday. Angelina, have you any idea why the pitch at Ellen Road is so shoddy? Surely there's no excuse for that, given the technology available nowadays. It's rubbish, Listen, isn't it? I mean, I have been to Leeds, Bradford, West Yorkshire as a whole, and there are a lot of shoddy things to come out of that area. No disrespect, <laughs> of course, but uh, but yeah, I've had my fair share of experiences in that area of the world. Um, but that pitch is definitely one of the terrible things to come out of West Yorkshire. Um, I feel like the um, the word slash excuse on the street um, is that the club, what was it? They were unable to relay the surface in the summer because of the short turnaround between seasons. That's too bad then. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? And But they've since been able to re- lay a new surface because of the poor weather in January. So they had like two weeks where they were able to lay this like hybrid pitch as a short-term solution um, that has set them back about £300,000. They then tweeted about how great it looked. Like, look at our pitch. Doesn't it look fab? <laughs> it hasn't made a bit of difference, let's be honest. Um, I mean, this to me, I mean, the first excuse doesn't really make sense because if they've managed to try and put this hybrid pitch in, I'm sure they probably could have found the time. I'm no pitch expert, you know. Mm. I've I've got hay fever. I stay away from grass. <laughs> um, so may, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But like I say, it's not made much of a difference. And if your own players, you know, like Patrick Bramford saying, it's like being on an ice wing, you need to sort it out. And I yeah. agree with you in that this is not good enough for the Premier League, you know, do conditions not have to be checked before the season starts? Like, there should be a man with a, pl- a clipboard going round being like, right, yeah, this is all right, your mm. lights are all right, your stands are safe. Oh, hang on a minute, this pitch is trash. Not happening, mate. Mm. You need to find somewhere else. So, I mean, maybe that's a little bit harsh. But at the same time, if players are going there, you know, managers are fearful that players are going to get injured. It's dangerous. Um it's not good. I mean, apparently one thing to look forward to is that there will be an overhaul of their drainage system Ooh. taking place in May at the end of the season. So maybe next season it won't be so bad. Who knows? But yeah, utter shambles. Not good enough. It's almost so bad that you would say, like, in this uh, in this current circumstances where, where games are being played behind closed doors anyway, why not just ask to play all your games away from home until it's sorted? Because it's not helping exactly. them play it on their own pitch, is it, at the moment? It's- you know... Why not at the beginning of the season? Why didn't mm. they take that time to try and 
to try and fix it and say, listen, it might run three weeks over, so we're going to have to do something else. Like, are you telling me that there's not another pitch in the in Yorkshire or in the UK that they could have used? Come mm, on now. Yeah. Well, we said last week that we feared for Villa without Jack Grealish. Do you think uh, Anwar Algarzi showed here that he's capable of filling some of that void, Joel? Or as Jermaine Beckford put it on TV over the weekend, is Algarzi capable of taking Grealish's mantelpiece? <laughs> What's well, he robbing his mantelpiece? Uh, <laughs> um, I think it's a thing that's I did fear him without Grealish, but you know, actually looking at their team and uh, you know, watching the game and, and looking at their team, they have got three or four other players who can score a winning goal. Uh, Bertrand Traore has been scoring goals recently, you know, they've got Ollie Watkins and, and El Ghazi, but you know, Barkley's Ross Barkley's not been doing it recently, but on his day, it is a match winner and. And I guess that can fill the void while Grealish is out. And I, I did fear that they would slip down the table at some point. But they, they keep on, even when they do go and lose one or two on the bounce, they will go and grab you know two or three wins in a, in a row themselves straight afterwards. And I think they're in business this season. I think, in a way, they had no expectations of this before the season started. But if they don't get some kind of European football in the next uh, end of the season but they should be disappointed because they're, they're mm. right in with a shout and, and they've got a really good team to do it and um, absolutely hats off to them yeah well Marcelo Bielsa has now lost seven games in 2021 Leeds are in no danger of going down so I guess it has to be considered a successful season back in the Premier League but I can't help thinking back to their performance against Liverpool in the first game of the season and feeling they've been a bit of a disappointment overall is, is that fair do you think Angelina I'm a bit a bit harsh on them there Maybe a bit harsh, but I do understand where you're coming from. I mean, they are playing on ice rinks, so I guess that has to be taken into account. You know, I mean, it's neither confirmed nor denied that, you know, the next season of Dancing on Ice is going to be taking place there. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's, things are looking up for them, but no, I mean... um, you know, it's tough tough for the biased Angelina to, you know, give praise to Leeds United, but Mm. um, I think... At the end of the day, props to them, especially the way that they came in. They started things with a bang. It was a big moment for the club being back in the Premier League after all those years of struggle. Um, and, you know, they're currently in 11th position. Um, not not too bad, I think, overall. It's a decent performance for a promoted team. Um I mean, they've been great to watch. There has been, you know, some exciting moments. There is a lot of a lot to build on. Um mm. But I agree with you in that the way that they started things, I wanted a little bit more from them, especially with some of the players that they have. You know, like you look at Rodrigo, I got so much hate on social media because I said that he maybe could be a little bit of a flop in that he's not going to, you know, be banging in goals left, right and centre. And I think because he had a first couple of few games uh, that were decent, I was getting so much hate. Somebody (laughs) actually sent me on Instagram like this real of like his best moments he played like two games like his best <laughs> moments like a highlights thing and they were like oh you're so wrong blah 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 well who's laughing now yeah. um i think that a lot of you know people were expecting uh more um i think so yeah they've done well they've done all right round of applause to them for that um i don't think it's a complete disappointment but on an entertainment level, I agree with you in that it has been disappointing because I did expect more. Yeah. Do you think, uh, Joel, Bielsa maybe faces a similar problem to Graham Potter in that you can get an average group of players playing good football to a point, but you, the ceiling, you, you hit it pre- pretty quickly, basically? 
Yeah, quite possibly. Um, he's sort of said himself recently. He also said that the, the lead project extends beyond him now. Mm. Uh, I do wonder whether he knows that there are limitations to this group and that um, he eventually might have to move on himself because he can only get so much out of them. And but and Leeds probably have higher expectations and will have to sort of move these group of players on and bring better players in. But they're going. I think they've gone about it the right way, though, because obviously there are no danger of going down now. Um, to probably finish somewhere mid table, get the prize money from that, and and go again next season, which, which might be with Bielsa, might not, and and just keep going. And and, and I, I I think fair place. I I think maybe we are being a bit a little harsh on them, um, because they they're sort of going about it the right way. They are obviously aiming just to stay up and and consolidate and go again, but they go about it in the right way where they are attacking and they are exciting, and you know they might win four nil, they might lose four nil, and I think that's fair because. They'll end up finishing, let's say, 12th or 13th, and someone like Wolves and Southampton will finish 13th, 14th, 15th. And, you know, come with sort of similar around points total. But if you ask a Leeds fan and a Wolves fan and a Southampton fan who's enjoyed their seasons more, then you, you, Leeds are obviously going to be 100% uh, mm. correctly and say, yeah. So I, 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 I like them, big fan of them. Yeah, well, one team who probably aren't enjoying the season very much is Newcastle. Uh, they remain just three points above the relegation zone after they could only draw 1-1 with Wolves on Saturday. You know, last summer there was all that takeover talk. Newcastle were being linked with Lionel Messi, Coutinho, <laughs> Pochettino. Now they're sleepwalking towards potential relegation under Steve Bruce. Do you feel for their fans, Angelina? It must be a bloody exhausting club to support, mustn't it? You know what? <laughs> I feel terrible for those fans. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Newcastle, but it is mm. cold in Newcastle. Like, <laughs> I went once, I didn't realise how cold it was. So, I mean, you've already got, you know, the not great weather, a not great football team either. I mean, yeah, it's doom and gloom, really. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no disrespect to Newcastle. It's a lovely city, but it is cold. Um, But I just think that it's not great. I mean, if your owner, since owning you, is constantly putting you on the market, off the market Mm. over the years, that's not really giving you much hope for the future, is it? Um, I think that a takeover would have been perfect. I, I mean, I remember myself and Matt, you know, we're doing Instagram lives talking about transfers and stuff. And we were talking, I think Cavani also came into the mix. But yeah, we were talking mm. about, imagine if Pochettino was coaching Newcastle. And like, we were talking about all those players that you've mentioned. And I was actually really excited for them because I've, I've got no hate on, on Newcastle. You know, I think they've got a great history and everything. And, and I want to see teams like that do well. Um and it's a shame because a takeover would have been brilliant, but I understand the reasons behind it regarding, you know, some of the issues that were going on. I understand why it didn't work out, but I think if the right people would have come along, it could have been brilliant. And like I say, I was really excited for them. Um, and you look at some of the players that they have, you know, they, they are good players and, you know, it's arguable whether Steve Bruce is the man to take them further. Um, <laughs> I don't think it is. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to be nice there by saying arguable. <laughs> I want to try and be as, like, not too harsh on uh, on Brucey, but, yeah, I mean, it ain't going to happen, is it? But, um, you know, could you imagine if they would have at least been in the mix for those players and what it would have done for the profile of the club and the Mm. fans. They deserve a little bit of positivity and I really am rooting for them in that maybe it'll happen one day soon. Maybe, maybe. Uh, William Jose still hasn't scored for Wolves, but do you think it's any coincidence, Joel, that their uh, form has improved since he he joined? I mean, he seems to be bringing good performances out of the players around him, doesn't he? Yeah, I I think they brought him for that purpose. Not not necessarily, I mean, it seems weird saying you're not know, starting a striker to score your goals, but 
I guess sort of what else you want from him is that he can bring others into play and he can get them up the pitch and he can be that, you know, cliched focal point for the, for the team. And, and, and yeah, I think they have improved because of that because what that does is it then brings Adama Traore into the game and although he's not providing assists or goals at the moment, he is taking players on and taking other players out of the game. So there's also room for them, Pedro Neto and, and Ruben Neves to do their business. And I, and I think they've, they've improved a lot and, you know, obviously Man City are playing them um, on you know Tuesday night and, and, and you wonder whether the record City have had against them, whether Wolves might cause them a few problems. I, I think City will have no issue getting past them, but it does sort of make it a bit more interesting that, you know, Wolves have sort of getting back to the levels that they have been showing in, in the two years previous since they've been coming up. Yeah, I fancy a very narrow win for City, like a 1-0 or something. That's that's the sort of most I'm hoping for because I think I Wolves that. are a tough team to beat, aren't they? Um, that result for Newcastle meant Fulham had a big chance to make up some ground on Newcastle when they play Crystal Palace on Sunday, but they only managed a nil-nil draw. Um, do you think, Joel, that, that Scott Parker should be kicking himself after that a bit? It feels like a massive missed opportunity to me. They've got Tottenham, Liverpool and Man City to come in the next three games. Yeah, I think you're right there, especially when you look at those next three games because they could then go and lose all three. And then the momentum that they've built up recently, and you know, they've been wonderful teams in the division, that that momentum can, can uh, slide away very quickly. And then you're looking at maybe not winning another game until April. Um, I think I actually do think they'll cause Tottenham some problems, but that definitely, they definitely represents the most opportunity. They were the only team looking to win that game. Palace were there to sit and, and get a nil-nil and mm. Rui Hodgson and Myth as much. Because um, he's an exciting man, isn't he? Yeah, um, and, I, and I think I think you know they'd have the best chances for him, and I think they should be kicking themselves. But Scott Parker's done a really good job there because he's turned a, a team that was possession orientated and wants to be quite exciting and at the start of the season that's how got them up last season, um, and then they come up with the vision and, and they get you know snotted three or four weeks on the run <laughs> and, he, and you're looking at them and thinking they're not staying up at all mm. right off any chance and he's built and made them a really solid team and really difficult to beat but the next three games could see those chances slide away I think they'll be alright though Mm. Well, the Roy Hodgson algorithm now stands at nine wins, six draws, eleven <laughs> defeats. So it's sort of yeah, nature is healing, I guess, isn't it? You'd say. Uh, <laughs> um, I read that Palace have got seventeen players out of contract in the summer as things stand. That includes the likes of Sacco, Townsend, Benteke, uh, Van Arnholt, um, Angelina. It's, it's a big rebuilding job that they've got on the hands there. Do you think seventy-three-year-old uh, Roy Hodgson is the man to oversee that rebuilding job? Listen. Age ain't nothing but a number, let me tell you right now. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I was looking as well, and there's also like an extra four players on top of that whose contracts expire in 2022. So it's like, once they've even dealt with all of this, they've then got even more players to deal with. Who has let this happen? I want to know. I would love to have a sit down and a conversation and be like, how have you let this happen? In mm. that there's this many players that you've got to deal with. Um, and, you know, you pair this also with, um, you know, so some of these players are, are going to depart, you know, and things haven't been negotiated and they, they have really, it seems like they've really dropped the ball here. Mm. And also you look at, you know, their star man in Zahar, he's spoken out about wanting opportunities. It seems like every time he tries to apart from that obviously terrible time at Manchester United, but since he's been back, every time he tries to run for that exit door, they seem to just like put the price up and be like, no, 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 you ain't going anywhere, son, sit yourself down. Um, and, you know, I, I always, I was always really sad with the way he got treated at United and he is one of those players that I watch and I always want to see do well. Um, and I think this would maybe be a perfect time for him to 
slip out that exit door because they've got so much to deal with. Maybe you can slip through the net. I'm not too sure. But yeah. um, Maybe it's time but, to be reunited with David Moyes at West Ham. That uh, was a good relationship there oh, last yeah. time, wasn't it? Apparently, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah they, had, they had a great time, didn't they? So, <laughs> may, so maybe, but no, I, I do agree with Roy, the Roy Hodgson thing. I mean, he's been managing since like, what, the 70s? Or yeah. <laughs> like, I think... Um, retirement is calling and you know what Roy Hodgson he just needs a peaceful life he doesn't want to have to deal with all this rebuilding you know he shouldn't have to at his age I think as much as I say age is just a number that's a lot to take on it is a lot to take on and that is also a lot of years really a rebuild doesn't just happen overnight that's going to take a couple of seasons so I don't think it would be a bad thing if they did bring somebody else in um you know, for that for that job, and that's no hate on on Roy Hodgson. He is somebody that I guess you always, as much as he might be a bit crap every now and then, like you you do all you look at him and you think, oh, bless him. I don't know, maybe that's just me. I think Joel so, would beg to differ on that. One, yeah, but, maybe. Yeah. Uh, no, no blessing from my side. Yeah. No blessing. <laughs> well, I don't. From from me, maybe I just I always just think, you know what? Let him just have his retirement. Let him just crack on with his life. Maybe take up a bit of gardening and let somebody else deal with this absolute shit show. Yeah. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for on this week's uh, very long edition of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast. Before we go, Angelina, perhaps you could tell us what you've got to what we've got to look forward to on the women's football show this week. Yes, of course. This week it is the Women's Champions League. For those who didn't know, and one of the big blockbuster games is actually similar to the men's game in that Atletico are facing Chelsea. Um, we caught up with Atletico Madrid defender Kylie Strom and got her take on it. We also looked at some of the big games across Italy, Spain, the Women's Super League. I'm sure, Dan, you will be very happy to know that City did win 4-0 at the weekend. Things are going really, really well um, for the women's team there. Um, so, yeah, we've just been chatting about everything, really. But, yeah, especially those Champions League games. Looking forward to it. Very good. And as well as that, there's also Ian McCourt's European football show later in the week. And then we'll be back next Tuesday to discuss such topics as the Manchester Derby, Chelsea v Everton and all the other Premier League talk points. If you want to contact any of our shows, you can email us on podcast at onefootball.com or tweet us at onefootball. Thanks for listening and ciao for now.